Amen. All right. Wonderful. Let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go to 1 Peter. All right. 1 Peter chapter number 2 and uh, starting in verse number 11. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 11 through 17 again uh, this morning. And as you're finding your place there, I just want to remind you again of the whole reason behind Peter writing his, these epistles that bear his name. And by now, I'm sure you know, but in case you don't, by way of remembrance, keep in mind, Peter is writing for this main purpose of strengthening the brethren. Just as Jesus commanded him to do so in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, when Jesus said, When thou art converted, that word converted meaning for him when you return, when you come back. Basically, Peter, when you get right with God, when you are converted, strengthen thy brethren. And so Peter is doing just that. He is trying to write to strengthen the believers, the brethren. Because at this time, keep in mind in the history of the church in the first century, they were going through the ringer. They were going through a great persecution, suffering great loss, many of them being hauled off to prison, being tortured, and yes, even being put to death, all from the cruel hand of their leader, the man Nero himself. So they needed strength during this time. But the strength that they needed was not going to be found from a political party. It was not going to be found from a, a, a financial institution. It wasn't going to be found from any man's means. Rather, the strength they needed was going to be found from the Lord and from His Word. And so Peter, with pen in hand, sits down in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and tries to strengthen the brethren by giving them great hope. Peter is the apostle of hope, remember? And it's a theme throughout 1 Peter of, of hope. And he's trying to give them great hope through this terrible time of history. But the hope he's giving is not a hope of, a, well, let's just sit down here, cross our, cross our fingers, toss a coin in the wishing well, and hope this thing works out. That's, that's not hope. But the hope he is giving, rather, is this. Hope is this. It is based upon the person and promises of God. That's what he's basing all of the hope upon. And listen, that is real hope. And they needed it. And guess what? We today need the same. So let God's word strengthen you by giving you great hope. So that's why Peter's writing. And so as we move on here in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we come back to these verses we began looking at last Sunday, it seems that Peter is still giving great instruction to these believers on how to uh, behave. He is dealing with their behavior. He is dealing with their lifestyle. He is dealing with their manner of living. It would seem as Peter is still helping in the area that we would call our sanctification. So Peter's doing this. And we'll finish up this message this morning. We started last Sunday. But he's doing this. He is giving practical and personal steps of our behavior in this world. Let's look at it again. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse number 11. And we'll go down through verse number 17. Okay, the Bible says this. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. 
Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of the evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the King. Our fathers, we look to your word again this morning. I pray that you please speak to our hearts. Lord, you do a, do a work. Stir us, I pray. Help us to understand and apply the word of God to our lives that we leave here growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray for this one here this morning that does not know, there, know you as Savior, that you would do a great work in their heart and show them their need. And may they by faith call upon Christ and be saved today. Thank for those that have, that have trusted Jesus as their Savior in recent days. We rejoice in that and we pray for them that you continue to do a work in their lives. Help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now as we read this text, keep in mind again, folks, that uh, Peter sums up every true believer that is living in this world when he calls us strangers and pilgrims. Be reminded, we do not belong to this world. This world is not our home. This is not cliche. It's actually truth, okay? This world is not our home. We are just passing through. Yet, we still live here, don't we? Okay. Who here? Raise your hand. Are you breathing? Everybody raise your hand. You're breathing. Okay. Um, if somebody did not raise your hand, check on your neighbor, would you? Okay. But if you're breathing this morning, you're still living in this world. You're still living. Yet while we live in this world, how are we to do so? What, what are we to do? How is our lifestyle to be? How are we to behave. Well, Peter, he gives us some instruction on that. He's instructing on that, of course, throughout the whole epistle and even the next epistle. But here in this immediate text, he's given us some instruction of how we as pilgrims and strangers just passing through are to live while we are still yet here in this world. We took note, just by way of remembrance quickly, I'll, I'll, I'll hit these two first two and move on to the rest of the message. But we took note last time, number one, he said to do this, give attention to your souls. And the Bible says again in verse number 11 that we are to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. As believers, there's always a battle, always a war going on against our soul. You know, the day that, that we got saved, we passed from death unto life. We passed from darkness into light. That was the best day of your life. And as the many benefits that were received on the day of our salvation, though there are many, one of them was not this. The old man was not eradicated. The old fleshly nature is still there. The old nature coexists with the new nature. And, and Peter is saying there's going to be a war against your soul. Again, that word war there meaning making a military expedition against your soul. Soul, there's a battle going on. But we must give attention to it. We must give some attention to the struggle going on. And the area of attention we can give is this, to abstain from fleshly lust. There are some practical steps you and I can take to help in this war against our soul. 
And again, what are some steps you need to take practically to abstain? That means stay away from, refrain from, abstain from fleshly lust, that sensual side of your life. What things do you need to stay away from? Because the more we dabble in those sensual fleshly lusts, you want to continue warring against your own soul. So what is it? What is it you need to stay away from? Then do it. So Peter does this. Number one, he gives attention to our souls. Then we saw this. Number two, he gives attention to what others see. Now again, in verse number 12, we took note of the word conversation. And again, this is not referring to how we talk or how we speak, not just talking about conversating with people, though no doubt that is implied. But the main thing it is, he's dealing with this word, is this, our way of life. How we live has to do again with our behavior. You see, at this time, in the first century, the Christians were really going through great difficulty, going through uh, great pain, suffering immensely. And the, even the general public at the time, as Peter says here, uh, called them evildoers. Uh, that word means is this common, wicked criminal. That's what they considered every Christian, just a common, wicked criminal. And so the general public of the day thought that the Christians deserved the punishment that they were receiving. But the only thing that was going to silence the ignorance of foolish men, that was going to silence the slandering tongue, that was going to just shut down all of that uh, wickedness that was coming upon the believers, at least what the people thought about them as evildoers. What was going to shut that down was this, how they lived before the people, how they lived, their, their testimony. Listen, the only thing that's going to change the mind of the public was how these people responded to the treatment they were giving. You see, we cannot necessarily control the circumstances that surround us. We cannot con control how people respond and treat us. But you know what you can control? How you will respond to the circumstances. How you and I will respond to the treatment of others. And that, that response in and of itself could be what makes a difference in someone's life from someone coming to know Jesus or repelling them from the Lord. We must give attention to what others see. Your testimony is important, just so you know. Be reminded of that. Be reminded. So how are we to live? Well, Peter gives us two things quickly, and then we see this as we move on. Not only does he give attention to our souls, not only does he give us, uh, tell us to give attention to our, uh, our, what people see, but thirdly, quickly this. He gives attention to our submission. Oh, boy. Now, a lot of times when a preacher preaches on submission, people automatically start getting heartburn. Some of you went ahead and did this. You're like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> get a little indigestion, you know. We begin to get a little bit of heartburn and then a little, little anxious when we hear this word submission. You can say amen or oh me because it happens to all of us, okay? Why? Why do we get a little uneasy when we hear that word? Well, if we were honest with ourselves, we are full of pride. And we don't want nobody telling, telling us what to do. I ain't submitting to nobody. That's why. Because we're all full of pride. We don't want to submit to nothing. And even Peter himself knows this from his own experience. And we know that Peter, we looked through his life a few months back, but we know that Peter said a lot of foolish things. I mean, just plain old D-U-M dumb, like real dumb, you know. 
He said a lot of dumb things. But one of those things he said was this. After Jesus had a very precious time with his disciples in the upper room and at the Last Supper, and he used the bread to teach of his broken body, and he used the, the wine to show of his shed blood, of course, for the remission or for the forgiveness of of sins and he he told them that listen uh, people are going to do this to me but be of good cheer the third day I'm going to rise again he was telling them of what he was doing and then afterwards they the Bible says <clears throat> they went out and sung a hymn together but after they left the upper room and left that last supper and he told them that um, all is going to happen Jesus said this he said all of you will be offended because of me this night oh what did Peter say? Peter said in Matthew 26, 33, Peter answered and said to him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. <laughs> Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. But Peter said, Look, Jesus, though all these other rascals may be offended at you, I will never be offended. That sounds quite prideful. Even after Jesus told him simply, listen, you're going to be offended. You're going to deny me. No, no, not me. Not me. But we know what happened. We know that he denied it to the Lord three times. And in, the last, in his last denial, we know he used some strong language to do so. But I believe Peter could every time look back on his life and see the, the failures of his life that no doubt could be linked back to some kind of pride, could be linked back to some, some form of not submitting, submitting either to the Lord or to His Word. And if we were honest with ourselves, if we look back over our lives as well, and then the failures therein, many times, not most of them, could be linked to some kind of failure to submit to God. But why do we fail to submit Pride. The Bible says in Proverbs eleven two, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. But the lowly is wisdom. Proverbs sixteen eighteen, pride go before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three, a man's pride shall bring him low. We can see verse after verse that deal with the destruction of pride. Pride is an absolute killer, but don't let it destroy you. So how do we defend against it? What's the answer to pride? Well, what's the opposite of it? Starts with the H, ends with the humility. Humility, good job. Being humble. Humility. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Peter knows this. Peter knows what the antidote, if you will, to pride is. And that's simple humility. And Peter knows it so well that that's why in our text he encourages this. He encourages the Christians to submit. And just on a side note, Peter will be emphasizing this very thing, even going into the next chapter. You see it's kind of a theme here in the middle of the epistle of, of submission. You can see the theme of submission as a servant in chapter 2, verse 18 through 25, which we'll get there next time. You can see the theme of submission as a spouse in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And you can see the theme of submission even in a church body in chapter 3, verses 8 through number 12. But the main submission that in this moment that Peter is pointing to in light of what's taking place against these believers is found in verse 13 and 14. Look at it again when he says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, 
whether it be to the king as supreme or as unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. So he's given attention to submission, but submission as this. You ready? As a citizen. As a citizen. Now again, keep in mind just how bad it would have been to be a citizen in the first century, especially as part of the beloved, as he said. Especially as part of believers as being born again. Keep in mind how bad it would have been. Filled, a day filled with injustices. A day filled with all kind of civil wrongs committed daily. A day where you just have simply two classes of people. The haves and the have-nots. Meaning the extreme rich and the extreme poor. And the gap between was quite deep and wide. There was no middle ground. It was quite, quite bad at that moment. Riots and revolts were on the rise. <clears throat> the military would be called in to even put those riots and revolts down. All these things going on. But what was the answer that Peter gave to the believers as they faced this very thing in this world? How were they to behave? Well, it's the same thing that Paul wrote to the Roman Christians who were living through the same type of atmosphere. And he says this, Submit. Now again, this word submit, it had been a word that was used in the military, the Greek military, especially during this time when soldiers would get orders from their supreme or supreme officer. And whether they, they uh, agreed with them or not, whether they liked them or not, they were simply to obey those orders. And so that's the same word that Peter is giving to these believers to submit. And so with the persecution going on in Peter's day, with the violence against believers, all from the cruel hand of their leader, we would say their president of Nero, Peter still says this. Oh, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. You see, if anyone who lives in this world, anyone who's part of a country, if anyone who should be a good citizen that they reside in, it should be a born-again believer who claims to know God and have the Holy Spirit of a living God living inside of them. Now, I know what some of you may be saying, thinking, and especially when it says ordinance of man here or unto governors, you're, you're automatically thinking of government when you see and hear these words. And somebody may be thinking, well, well, preacher, that'd be quite hard, don't you think, especially during that time? It would. Well, I ain't going to lie, preacher, it's kind of hard to do that even, even now. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not going to submit to any corrupt government or any corrupt law that would violate my conscience or go against the word of God. And I would say, well, hey, man, me neither. That's not what Peter's saying. Peter is not saying that he is telling these believers to violate their conscience or go against the word of God. He is not putting man's law above God's law. You see, keep in mind, even Peter himself, again, even himself was put into such a predicament. Soon after Pentecost, when things happened where people were getting right, people were getting saved, the apostles were preaching, Many people were turning unto the Lord and the local government, the local ruling councils of the day took notice. And uh, they were not happy about it all either. 
They were not happy. They didn't like it. They took Peter and the rest of the apostles and had them arrested. And before letting them go, this governing council took those leaders and said this, Acts chapter 5, verse 27 and 29. And when he had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, say, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon, it, upon us? So, so get, the, get the picture. They've arrested them. They've commanded them to stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus Christ. But what was the answer that Peter gave? It was this. In verse 29, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Understand, these apostles did not cause a rebellion or a riot. They did not call or question rather even the authority of the council themselves. They had respect unto the authority even though those leaders oppressed the gospel. Yet they refused to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Why? Well, though this council was an authoritative ruling body and they did recognize their authority, they recognized that God's authority was greater. Understand. As much as possible, we should be people who seek to cooperate with the law and government, but we must never allow the law to make us violate our conscience or disobey God's word, period. So Peter's not telling these believers to stop behaving like Christians, though that's what the leaders would have wanted. Nero don't want them going around spreading the gospel. That's why he's persecuting them in the first place. He don't want them preaching the gospel. He don't want them telling the good news. That's the whole purpose of being in prison, the whole purpose of being put to death, to stamp out and stop the spread of the gospel. But he's not telling them to stop that. He isn't telling them to submit to a government more than the Lord. He is suggesting a great honor and respect to the institution, to the office, which is the meaning behind the word ordinance here. It means institution. So this word is not referring to each individual law. Rather, it's referring to the institutions that would make up those said laws to give respect to, to them. So what Peter would be getting at is he would be doing this. Respect the institution. Respect the position. Even if he didn't respect the person. Is that clear as mud? Okay, good. <laughs> but before we go any further... As Peter is talking about submission here, just so we're clear, I don't want you to leave here this, this morning and say, you know, Preacher Phil, he didn't say I had to obey them laws no more. I'm going to go out here and rob a bank and speed down the road. Okay, That's not what I'm saying, all right? I'm not saying that at all. Not one bit. But what I am saying is this. As believers, we should be law-abiding citizens. But if any of these laws go against the Lord and His Word, I'm going to tell you what Peter said. We ought to obey God rather than man. If there's ever a law that came around and said stop preaching the gospel, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to still preach the gospel. I'm going to still, still tell people of Jesus. You know, those laws are out there in other countries. I hope you know that. Even now. People are meeting in secret. Yeah, it's a law. They can't have church. Yet they still meet. Why? Because they've been given a command from their greater authority, God. And that, that overrules, God's authority overrules man's authority. 
So as best we can, yes, we should submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. But when they break God's laws, when they go against God's word, we ought to obey God rather than man. So he gives, he gives attention to submission. Then lastly, I want to see this quickly. He gives attention to the sense of it all. Meaning, why should we give attention to our souls, as he told us? Oh, why should we give attention to what others see? Why should we care about that? Oh, why should we give attention to submission, especially as a citizen? Why should we give any attention to any of that? What's the sense of it all? What's the reason behind doing any of that? Well, look at it with me. Verse number 15. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty as a cloak of, of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. I want you to mark these expressions in the verses we read. In verse number 15, in the beginning of verse 15, we see this. So is the will of God. And then mark the, the another expression in verse 16. It's at the end of it where it says the servants of God. I want you to know something. Everything starts with and everything ends with God. Everything starts with God. Everything comes back to God. So everything we should be doing should be for this reason. For the Lord. As unto the Lord. Our reason for living and giving attention to our souls is for the Lord. Uh, the reason for guarding ourselves is for the Lord. The reason for guarding our testimonies so that others can see a righteous testimony is for the Lord. Uh, the reason for submitting, uh, as it says here, to every ordinance of man is not for man. It's for the Lord. Ultimately, everything we do should be for the Lord. It ain't about you. It ain't about me. It should all be about Jesus Christ. You can say amen right there. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's for His sake. It's for the Lord this is why, and this makes sense of it all, of why we do what we do. It's all for Jesus Christ. So the world in which they were living, it was corrupt, it was evil, and the evil men were only getting worse and worse. And by the way, the Bible still says that today. The world in which we live, it's corrupt. The world in which we live, it's evil. The people are, are evil. They are mean, all right? And they're going to get worse and worse, but while we yet live still in this world, as God gives us breath, we need to take some practical and personal steps to give attention to these things in our lives, to give attention to our souls, to what others see, to our submission, all for this purpose, to serve the Lord for the Savior's sake. So again, let me ask you, what personal and practical steps do you need to take this morning as Peter makes it plain for us when it comes to our conversation, meaning our manner of life, our behavior, what do you need to do? What is it? Whatever it is, do it. And make sure it's for the Lord's sake. Let's pray together this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed, knowing looking around.
I wonder, I wonder this morning you're here. And over the past week or so, we've been going through this, this text. The Lord has worked in your heart. And there are some practical steps you need to take. And maybe even God put it upon your heart to do so last week, but yet you refuse to do so. But God is still pushing at that and putting his finger on that step you need to take. I want to encourage you, please respond to God appropriately to the Lord and take that practical step. Maybe the step you need to take this morning is you need to be saved. You're here this morning. And you say, Brother Philip, I, I, I'm not saved. Would you please pray for me? I don't know Jesus as my Savior. Would you please pray for me? That's the next step I need to take. If that is you, let me see your hand. Slip it up as high as you can so I can see it. I just want to pray for you, okay? Anybody like that? Maybe you're here this morning and there's some things in your life you know it ought not to be there. And God has been working your heart to try to help you and show you to abstain from those things. Again, to guard your soul. There's a war against it. And if so, take that step. Take that step. Maybe the step is this. You found yourself just full of pride lately. And God is showing you this morning to simply humble yourself and be in submission to God and His Word. Take that step. Step and do it for this reason, for the Lord's sake. I encourage you to respond to the Lord appropriately this morning.